All right. Second John, please. I'm going to continue through this passage as we were going this Sunday. I would like to read um, at least verse 7 here. It says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So here we're getting into the middle part of this epistle. And all through this letter, you see the apostle speaking about walking in truth. And that being a theme of the epistle, part of this walking in truth is not walking in error. So there's always an, an antithesis. This is it here. And so um, what is the negative counterpart of walking in the truth? It's being watchful of these deceivers who do not walk in the truth. They walk in error, and they would like you to walk in error, just like they do. So we talked about this, got this uh, going last time, talking about um, deception, how um, it's very deceiving. I mean, we talked about planos, uh, planet, how uh, these deceivers, they wander away. They wander away from the truth, and uh, they also have a gravitational pull uh, in the sense that they are able to pull others with them, allure others. We said that they're attractive, they're seductive, they take people away little by little. We had talked about deception that um, it will deceive you without you even knowing it. That it can do that. That it will deceive you little by little until you look back and say, wow, I have really gone off the path. Wow, I didn't notice how far I have gone off from the truth. So that, that is the nature of deception, and that's the nature of wandering, which is the idea of the word. But um, we, so we talked about that. And we talked about that there's many deceivers in our world. That ever since the apostles' time, and even up to our time, there have been and there will be many deceivers in this time period. And so we need to be watchful of these deceivers out there, these uh, false teachers. They are prevalent, and they are um, outnumbering us. Uh, and it shows us that um, we have a lot up against us. And there's a lot to uh, be in conflict with. So, going here into verse 7, uh, going into the next part here, says, For many deceivers are entered into the world. I want to talk about that part there, are entered into the world. It's an aorist tense verb, which means that it's past action. But with Greek, uh, there's a lot of uh, things with verbs. Um, there's... Uh, time of action and there's kind of action. An aorist has a time and has a kind of action. Time of action would be past. The kind of action, the quality of the action would be punctiliar. <laughs> What's that word? Can you spell that for me? It means point action. It means point action, okay? But um, 
the aorist tense can uh, have both of those senses to it, depending on context and all that. But what we're seeing here is that John is looking at this, and he's looking at the situation that there are already deceivers in the world. They are there. They have checked in, and they're not checking out. Okay, They're there. They're situated. They're integrated in the world. They're, they're there. And so that's the present situation. It's not that they will be there or that we have to look forward to this or be aware of this in the future. It's already happened. And that's, that's what we're looking at here. And even for our time, I mean, we can look back a couple thousand years, back from this time into history, you see tens of thousands, maybe millions kinds of deceptions that have grown through the centuries. So once they entered, they are, they are there now, integrated into everything, intermixed, intertwined, and working great deceits. And so this is true of our world now. As it was true then, it's true now. Deceivers have entered into the world, and the world is full of them with many varieties. It's not like there's just one kind. There's all kinds of deceptions out there. It is the present situation of our times and age. It is something we must accept to be true and not to ignore. It should then put more awareness upon us, knowing that we are surrounded by these deceivers in the world. So it should make us more aware, on guard, knowing that they're out there, knowing that they're in the world. This is not something that we can look to and say, oh, that's just a dream. That's just a figment of my imagination. No, this is real. This is real. This is true. They are out there. A parallel verse, uh, we went through this with uh, Brother Marlowe, but uh, 1 John 4, 1, say is a parallel verse. Says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So, same kind of wording here. So, John has already said this. He's just repeating it, repeating it, bringing it back to the light here that this is just a truth, a truth that we live in a world full of deceivers. The world. When it says here, into the world, it's the word for, um, it's the Greek word cosmos, which uh, speaks concerning the world system, the world system, as opposed to saying the physical earth, okay? What is said here is that deceivers have entered into the system of the world, into society, into the life of the public norm, in the world and its system, these false teachers can be found. Like we noted, they are integrated. And we could say that they're integrated in the mainstream of society. They've gone mainstream. And that's how deceptive they are. They feed off the publicity and the trends of present society. They operate within the system to their own advantage. Their doctrinal heirs have gone mainstream, and therefore they are more influential, powerful, and seemingly undefeatable. 
And that shows us that, again, we're up against a lot. That when we talk about these deceivers, we are understanding that they have a lot of influence, more than we think. And we, you know, we sometimes tend to think, oh no, it won't, it won't, it won't affect me, or it won't affect my children, or it won't affect my family, or it won't affect this person or that person. Actually, it does. It does. More than we think. It's very deceptive. Now, we might say that since they are so mainstream, that they are definitely no, there's no ounce of deception from them that would ever overtake us. And we certainly hope that's true of us. But we are to examine even the many Christian things, like I mentioned before, the Christian things out there with all their slogans and their cute sayings and, and the ways that they uh, promote themselves and market everything. There are many Christian things out there in the world, even among churches, and perhaps even of churches of like faith and practice. That's what it is. I mean, deception seeps in. It really does. And we'll probably notice, as we examine these things, that some elements of false doctrine and false practice tend to creep in. Just a little here and just a little there. This is why our filter needs to be always alert and active. We need to be able to filter through things and sift through it and say, that's not good and that's good and that's not good and that's okay. <laughs> All right? Why? It's because deceivers and deception has entered into our world for a very long time now. Like I said, we're talking about over 2,000 years now. It has infiltrated our area in our world. And they have found their ways to squeeze and squirm their way into churches, church ministry, church leadership, sermons, books, magazines, internet sources, and teaching material. It's like, is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can read today? Anything we can look at today? Any, you know. It's hard. It's very hard. It's very, very hard to find something that is on point. Why is this? Because deception has been permeating every single thing in our world. And it's hard to dig it out. It seems today that we need to filter everything that barks the name Christian. And why do we do this? Because we got to be watchful. Because John is saying here, there are many deceivers in the world, and he says in verse 8, look to yourselves. That we lose not those things which we have wrought. Okay? These apostles, they invested their lives into these people so much. You see Paul talking this way too, where he spent so much time teaching them the truth, he doesn't want to see it jeopardized at all. And so this whole idea of being watchful, being on guard, endeavoring to cling to the truth so that we walk in it is the proper way we ought to be. Now, understand that there is a mainstream kind of Christianity out there. And its tentacles have been pushing their way into churches and perhaps even churches of like faith and practice. 
They have such an influence. Of this, yes, we must be aware of. This mainstream Christianity will seem to be our friends and family. You know, to give you fist bumps. They'll give you hugs. <laughs> That's an inside joke. I once got a hug from Dave Fassel. So, former, former pastor of Bay Hills. So, said, oh, I don't want to talk about anything. Just give me a hug, man. Like, okay. <laughs> All right? But that's, this is the thing. They'll act like your friends and family. And isn't that kind of, you say, attractive? That idea, that camaraderie, they think they can have with you. But we must be very careful. Be very careful and create some distance, however much possible is needed to protect the truth within you and within others around you. You see, the mainstream it will be very kind and friendly and will make the case that they're on the same team. Hey, man, we're on the same team. No, we believe in the same Jesus. No, we're doing the same work. All these things that they throw out there. Be not, you know, they'll have all these kinds of words to kind of bait you in. Now, of course, we be nice and friendly back. We don't have to be nasty. But always keep one eye open. Knowing that the devil's snares are close by. This is another characteristic of deception. Deception will be your best buddy. It will try to get you on the buddy system. And before you know it, you'll be floating out into the big, wide sea of this world. It'll be your best buddy. And you've got to watch out for that. Just because it's friendly, just because it's nice, just because it has the name Christian, doesn't mean that everything is a-okay. You have to be watchful, especially in our time period where it's just, it's prevalent, this kind of Christianity. Now the second half of verse 7 uh, gets more specific here. Um, something very specific on John's mind. This is something that he was dealing with in his time period. It says in verse 7, Who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. So these were the kinds of deceivers in his world. These were ones who confessed not that Jesus Christ was come in the flesh. This was a major false teaching about Jesus in that time. And it correlated with the mainstream thoughts of the day. You see what I'm saying? There are mainstream thoughts in different eras of history and they distort doctrine. They take doctrine, they mess it up, and it gets alluring. They mix it in with things that you like, thing that's a, things that are appealing to the flesh, that are appealing to what would be um, something that, would, that we would grab a hold of. In short, this here what John was dealing with was a blatant denial of Jesus' incarnation and humanity. In short, it was a falsehood spoken about the doctrine of Christ. It was a distortion and denial of the true doctrine of Christ. And these deceivers, they showcased 
that Jesus did not come in the flesh and did not come in flesh and blood. And perhaps saying that he could not if he were truly good and divine. Or that Jesus could not be the Messiah who came in the flesh. So a lot of things that were floating around in that time period that relate to what John is saying here. There were various groups in that time. One major group during that time were the Judaizers. The Judaizers denied Jesus to be the Messiah. And therefore would have denied Jesus to have been the Christ in the flesh, as spoken of in John 1.14. You see also in uh, 1 John 2.22, where this denial is seen again. It says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Wasn't that what the Judaizers denied? They denied that Jesus is the Messiah. And to this day, there are a lot of Jews who still deny Jesus to be the Messiah. They couldn't get, they couldn't, they couldn't grab a hold, it was a stumbling block to them, they couldn't grab a hold of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah in the flesh. They didn't want to believe it. Another group in that time were the Gnostics who believed that all flesh is bad and evil and all spirit is good, perfect, and righteous. They also had a dualistic teaching that good and evil are both equals fighting against one another. So the idea of Jesus being flesh and blood and also divine and perfect did not fit with a Gnostic doctrine. We also note that the Corinthian church was in conflict with the denial of Christ's resurrection his bodily resurrection. That's seen in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to turn there, there's one verse I do want to note there. Now, the denial of Christ's resurrection um, was something that coincided with a mainstream thought in Greek society. And we'll see that later. But here you see um, in this passage here this denial of Christ's resurrection. Um, in verse 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? How are you saying this? You know, I mean, I'm sure Paul is just, his mind is blowing. Like why... How are you saying this, Corinthian church? How are you believing this, this lie, that there's no resurrection of the dead? Didn't I not teach you right that Christ rose from the dead and is the first fruits of the dead? <laughs> okay. And so he goes through this whole discourse proving that Jesus, in truth, did bodily resurrect. And that went against the mainstream of society. And you could see that the mainstream thoughts were affecting this Corinthian church. If you look at verse um, four, uh, 33, Paul gets to kind of the end of his thoughts here and he gives them a command. He says, be not deceived. 
be not deceived. That sounds familiar. There are many deceivers in the world. Be not deceived, and it says, evil communications corrupt good manners. There are evil communications happening in that day. And one of those evil communications was a denial of Christ's resurrection. A denial of the resurrection of the dead, period. Now we see this, um, this idea of the resurrection being laughable in the world in that day in Acts 17.32. In Acts 17.32, when the world heard about the resurrection of the dead, they just laughed. says in uh, Acts 17.32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. They mocked it. They laughed. Because that's not what the society teaches. That's not what the Greek philosophy teaches. This is not what we've heard in our, in our day and age. And so they laughed at it. It didn't fit with the mainstream thinking. We also see in First uh, John 4, so going back to the epistles of John, First John 4, 1 through 3, we see this passage here, and we've been through it already, but just kind of noting it here, that John repeats this false doctrine about Christ as he, as he did in Second John. It says here, Beloved, be, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. So here it's a repeat, obviously two different epistles, right? This was something... Uh, regularly on John's mind, something that he was in regular conflict with in his day. A common attack on Jesus Christ. You could say in a more general sense, anyone who did not speak the same thing as the truth was a deceiver. This applies to whatever doctrine it was. Anyone who did not confirm and confess the truth of the Christian faith was a deceiver. In a more specific sense here, anyone who denied and distorted the doctrine of Christ was a deceiver. And so he's getting more specific here. There's a general act idea of it in the first part of verse 7, but there's a more specific idea of those who uh, specifically attacked the doctrine of Christ. And there's no difference for today. Only in the sense that the doctrine of Christ is now probably more distorted in our world among many religions. You see, back in that day, you know, we didn't have the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and all these groups that are out there. They weren't there yet. But you can see how this doctrine has been distorted so much throughout the centuries. We talked to a Muslim today. Um, we know that Muslims, they don't believe Jesus to be the Messiah. God, the Son of God, he didn't want to talk, but, you know, th these are the kinds of, of religions that are out there. 
So any religion or following that denies and distorts the truth about Christ as found in the truth of God's word is a deceiver in our time. As much as we find the name of Jesus thrown around in our society, and we do, the admonition for us or the command for us is be not deceived. Just because it has the slogan, Jesus, doesn't mean everything's all right. There are numerous distortions about Jesus today, even among what people call churches. And we have to be very careful. So this was an ongoing battle in front of the Apostle John. And for sure, all the other apostles who also spoke and warned of these people. A lot of thoughts and doctrines were traveling around in their day, but these apostles were not ashamed to point out the error and warn the believers, teaching them to love one another as brothers and sisters, to stand fast in the power of God's might, to withdraw themselves from such false doctrines and false teachers, and to put the truth in constant remembrance. The apostles well understood that these false teachers and their false teachings, teacher, teachings were no friends to them nor to the truth. And that these teachings can have a powerful sway about them in the main line of the world. I want you to see in 2 Peter 3, and I know Brother Glenn's going to get to this. I just want to note it here. 2 Peter 3. 1 through 4, says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, here it is, scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Scoffers. How much does scoffing, how much power does scoffing have? It has a lot of power. Okay, it's the scoffing. This is what we're up against in our world. There are many scoffers in our world. And they're very powerful in that way. Have no surprise when your spiritual leaders see great dangers ahead and perhaps dangers you don't see. And they take it upon themselves to warn of the danger. I mean, it's part of our job. It's only because spiritual leaders love the flock. That's why. That's why. I mean, bottom line, that's what it is. We just love the flock. And we don't want to see harm done to God's people. So it's our business to warn of these things, to be cautious. We might be a little bit overcautious at times, but that's okay. That's okay. It's better to be overcautious at times than to be undercautious, not be cautious too much, you know, not be cautious enough, and let things slip in. We don't want that. Please, please take note here of John's forthrightness. He says here at the end of the verse, 
This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Wow, name-calling. Okay, all right. He did not beat around the bush. He told it how it was. He got rather blunt. Now, deceiver we talked about. Now, antichrist here is new in our context, but it's been seen in other epistles here. The word antichrist basically means against Christ. This is anyone who is against the person and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are ones who don't partner with the truth about Christ, but seek their own doctrine of him. 1 John 2, 18-24 tells us that there would be many antichrists in our time, and it has been that way for a very long time now. You walk down through world history, you see many antichrists, many uh, people of power, great power, having such power to sway masses of people to believe in doctrine that is against Christ. And it's true today. We have very powerful people in our world. Maybe you have very powerful people in your family, okay, who speak and they, people listen, okay? And uh, what's happening there? We have a lot of antichrists in the world. A lot of people of different shades, different forms, and different shapes of, of deception being against Christ. Two things I want to note here. Sometimes spiritual leaders will need to get specific about false doctrine prevailing in the day because he's getting specific here. It says, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? He's getting specific here. Sometimes that has to happen. Sometimes spiritual leaders will need to take to name names. Sometimes it has to happen. Name names. Or call, call out false doctrine when it rears its ugly head. Okay, how many times do we see the apostles naming false teachers? You know, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Naming false teachers showing, watch out for these people. Also, sometimes spiritual leaders will name false teachers and false doctrines for what they truly are. Sometimes it has to happen. Sometimes they have to be blunt with the facts and warn specifically. Something so serious does not warrant vagueness, ambiguity, or even mystery. Some things just need to be said. Why? It is because it is that serious of an issue. Because if it gets itself in, it's going to cause havoc. It's going to destroy. And these distortions and deceptions work quickly. And so we leaders must act quickly. Because as much as we act quickly, there are many times where <laughs> we get there too late. They act quickly. These kinds of deceptions, and I'm not just talking about errors about the doctrine of Christ. That's just one kind of deception in our world. There are so many other kinds of deceptions in our world that are even Christian. 
and how quickly they enter in to people's lives, people's families, and we don't hear about it until three months later or whatever, and it's already done damage. It's already done damage. It's wrecked everything, harmed things. So sometimes, these spiritual leaders, we need to <laughs> act quickly, and we need to be very cautious and on guard. Because these things are very influential and powerful. And what do leaders do? We stand in the way. Stand in the way. Okay, we try to intercept it, okay, as much as we can. Now we can't know everything. Now we're 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 human, okay? Sometimes we find out through the grapevine. Okay? But we try to intercept it as fast as we can as quickly as, as we can and do as much as we can to protect God's people from deception. Isn't that what Paul was doing with the Corinthians? He was inter intercepting this deception that was infiltrating their minds. You know, didn't he do that with Colossae, the church at Colossae, the Galatians? All these, all these groups being affected by thinking that was thrown out in that day and age? It's something that spiritual leaders have to do. And um, count it a blessing when they do. Count it a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for loving us. We pray that you would guard us from the evils in our present world. Lord, let us be faithful to you. Let us have discernment that we need to um, serve you and to watch out for these evils and these deceptions. In Jesus' name, amen. admonition to, to keep doing that, keep intercepting. It may be something different today. It may not be that Jesus was just a phantom, like the Gnostics said. Okay, That's not in vogue right now, but there are things in vogue that are bad as it relates to Christ, but also as it relates to the church. And the big one's universal church. We mention that a lot around here because that has so many tentacles. That belief, that idea that the church is this universal sort of amorphous, all believers are in it, and there has to, you know, there can't be any schism in it. Well, um, no, those teachings all refer to church, which is local, a body, the only kind of church there is. And, and but um, we, that means we have to keep purity by keeping separate. Each, each body has to keep pure by keeping separate from all that's going on out there. So, I mean, that's just one doctrine that sort of permeates mainstream Christianity and affects a lot of things, creates a lot of these parachurch ministries, which then, you know, as they say, become parasites <laughs> and, and, and rely on churches for their, their existence. And, and, uh, but it, it can affect people's thinking in so many different 